0: You are good in your mouth. good yes you are good all the time all the time you are good and you are good all the time all the time and you are good yes you are good all the time Good. Running, there was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father Praise son pray praise the...
1: Was moved for good,
0: for the Lamb had conquered death.
1: And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored.
0: And the Church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.
2: Be seated. I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to keep saying it. It is so good to see our students up here leading us in worship. Um, and we have multiple students that help us, and right, they're up here declaring that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And look, I know we have a lot of young uh, folks here with us. Listen, for the rest of your life, our prayer for you is that you will continue to declare that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you'll never see serving Him, but you'll serve Him the rest of your Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here. Something looked a little bit different when you walked in. Our welcome desk was back in place. Y'all noticed that? Yeah? Yeah. So slowly trying to put some things back the way they were a year ago, and so trying to make those uh, slow transitions. Uh, So hopefully you got your bulletin when you came in because they weren't in your seats any longer. So that's a new thing. Uh, You've been doing it for the last year, just picking them up in your seats. But if you want a bulletin, uh, they're out there. And hopefully you look over that bulletin, you pay attention uh, to some important things. I'll make some of those announcements in just a moment. But also inside of there is a place for our guests. If this is your first time with us, uh, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, Thank you for being here. There's a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. You can place that in the box, which is located uh, in the foyer. If you have any questions uh, please don't hesitate to ask those questions. If there's a way that we can pray for you, just, just find somebody who looks friendly, and hopefully that's everybody, um, and just say, hey, you look like somebody that would pray for me. Will you, will you pray for me? I have this need in my life. We want to help you and serve you any way uh, that we can. We have a lot of stuff going on over the next couple of weeks, so please pay attention uh, to the bulletin. Let me highlight uh, a few of those things we have, if you didn't know. I know they know, a wedding this Saturday, and so we have two that are really excited about that. All of us are excited, so, that, so that's excited, so you're invited to that. The information is there. Please RSVP if you plan on coming. I'm really, really excited about our cake auction uh, out there on the sign-in de- the, the, the sign desk, uh, the, the welcome desk. There is a place for you to sign up for the cake auction, so if you're planning on bringing some desserts... Uh, that we can pay lots of money for uh, to support our kids and youth going to camps. Uh, Please sign up for that. Uh, You see in the bulletin uh, information about our vacation Bible school. Uh, Thanks to technology, you can register really, really easy. There's this code right here. You just scan it. It'll open up on your phone. Take a picture of it. It'll open up on your phone a way for you to register for camp. So you can do that right now. Just don't do it while I'm preaching. Don't do it while I'm singing. So if you can do it in the next 30 seconds while I make announcements, go ahead if you want to do that. If you are not involved in a Sunday school, we meet at 915. Listen, I I want to strongly, strongly encourage you to get plugged into one of our Sunday school classes. We have classes for all ages. We have phenomenal teachers. You will build relationships. You will study the Word of God, and I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, We have our, our new members class next Sunday right after the morning worship service. If you have it, let me know you're coming. Please let me know. I want to get you a book. And then we're also going to have food for you as well. And then two weekends from now, uh, we have a really special thing, our debunked weekend. And so Chris is going to come. He's going to make an announcement about that. And then he has has a video we're going to show you, just to kind of show you what are some of the things uh, that Carl Kirby
3: does. The Berlin Wall falling and communism falling in Eastern Europe and Russia. All right, so you, you've outdated yourself with old people in, ch- <laughs> in here. Well, so- sociologists who study such things mark that moment in time as a transition from the modern era to the postmodern era. So ever since that had happened, we've been living what's called the postmodern era. And one of the distinguishing characteristics of the postmodern era is that there's a belief that truth is relative there is no absolute truth there's your truth and my truth and speak your truth and that kind of deal and that is a common philosophy you will see will see it's strengthened and reinforced in all of our institutions any kind of media you consume or your kids consume that, that idea is going to be enforced uh, in our educational institutions that idea is enforced so how do we answer it? how do we answer the charge that there is no truth all truth is there's no absolute truth all truth is relative obviously the scripture we know we have objective revealed truth from God, but how do we get that message across? Well Carl takes questions like that and he, he condenses his answers into a three little four minute quick little videos. You gotta you gotta be on the edge of your seat. You gotta pay attention. You can't sleep on this. Here's what he would say to that.
4: A telling thing happened a while back when Jesus was standing in front of Pontius Pilate. It's right here in the Bible, John 18, 37. Jesus says to him, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Pilate says this, wait for it, he says, what is truth? Shabam, there it is, the big kahuna, the spicy enchilada, the fizzy lifting drink, the question of the ages, and it's not much different today, which is why you hear claims like, it's true for you, but not for me, or there is no truth, or truth is relative, bro, or the ever so popular, speak your truth. Now, these things all sound nice and sweetie sweet, but what in the world do they mean? Well, let's take it's true for you, but not for me. Now, in all honesty, doesn't the person who says this to you want you to believe what he's saying? He's assuming that his relativistic claim is universally true, right? Everything is relative, I guess, except his relativism. Now, if something can only be true for me, which it can't, then it doesn't apply to you or anyone else, so what's the point in saying it? But if it is true for everyone, then the claim is wrong because it's only claiming to be true for me and not for you. Get it? Okay, maybe it's not clear right this second, but things that contradict themselves, like this claim, cannot be true. What about the claim there is no truth? Oh, yet another statement that demolishes itself by its own standard. After all, is that claim true? If so, it's wrong. If the claim is not true, then it's true that the statement there is no truth is not true, which means there is truth which makes the claim false. Moving on to the popular speak your truth. I gotta ask you in all seriousness, is there really your truth and my truth? Truth is what is. It corresponds to reality, it's black and white, either or, fact kind of stuff, right? Tiny Tammy tossed the toy pterodactyl tenderly into the Thames that Tuesday, or she didn't. It's pretty simple, really. Truth is truth, and it doesn't change with a pronoun. Now, you might disagree and throw your hands up in objection. That is, until, of course, you are on the receiving end of a lie. I'm sorry, somebody else's truth that contradicts reality. Let's say you deposited $100 into the bank yesterday but the banker's truth is that you didn't. Your sweet hundo, gone. Oh, no. Let's say you got every answer on every test right, but the teacher's truth is that you flunked the whole grade. Now, you have to repeat it. Your summer, gone. See, I think you get it, and I think you'd be fighting pretty hard for the truth, you know, the thing that corresponds to reality in those specific scenarios, because lies, I'm sorry, other people's truths that aren't true have huge consequences. Relativism is not only flawed, it's unlivable and unsustainable. And let's be honest, nobody wants a relative answer when they ask a real question, especially if it's directions to a gas station when you have to go to the bathroom. But wait a second, what if I say, my favorite candy is M&M's, and you say your favorite candy is Snickers? See, what's true for me is not true for you in that sense, right? actually, wrong. See, I'm saying it's true that my favorite candy is M&M's, and you are saying it's true that your favorite candy is Snickers. We're simply stating the truth about our preferences. Now, you got to watch out for preferences, beliefs, and opinions trying to sneak their way into Truth's exclusive club. After all, you can prefer that you have a blue hat when you only have a white one, but it doesn't change the facts. You can believe the moon is made out of cheese, but it doesn't make it true. And it might be your opinion that 5 plus 5 is actually 13, but you'd be wrong. See, tricky word games don't change the truth. They get you nowhere, as Double doves would say. You get nothing! You. Rem- Good day, sir! But what about morality? Ah, that's the big one. One person thinks it's wrong to commit adultery, and another thinks it's not. So the one might say, I'm glad you have your truth, baby, but it doesn't work for me. First of all, what you think about the truth doesn't change it. A thing is either true or not, even moral duties and obligations. Second, truth is not dependent on the subject, that is, you or me. It's objective. So whether it works for us or not doesn't change what's actually true. Third, since these two claims are in direct opposition to one another, only one can be true. This is the irrefutable, unstoppable, unbreakable, incontrovertible law of non-contradiction smashing through the nonsensical, irrational, and weak wall of hocus-pocus relativism, and curiously, here we are today right where Pilate was, having to deal with the one who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, claiming that no one gets to the Father that is God except through him. That's either true or it's not. And we can either deal with it head on, or we can, like Pilate and like Romans declares, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which leads us to make claims like, what's true for you is not for me. Truth is relative. There is no truth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all of which heretofore have
2: been debunked. Adios. Get that? You good? Yeah, there will be a test. All right, let's pray. And then after we pray, we're going to worship together. Father, we do thank you that there is truth. Jesus, you are the way, the life, and the truth. Father, there may be things in our life that we do not understand. In fact, this morning, some of us may be perplexed. We we may have questions. The the good news, Father, for us is there is always an answer. We just may not be able to know and see that answer in the moment. But God, we know that you are all-knowing. We know that there is one truth. And Father, we know that this morning You are going to speak. That You are going to move among Your people. You have promised us that. So Father, we just ask that You would encourage encourage the brokenhearted. Those who are weak, those who are struggling, those who are maybe uncertain about what's going on in their life, Father, would You just remind them of Your faithfulness, of Your truth. Speak that truth into their life. Father, continue... Lord, just to be with the rest of this worship service. We want to honor You. We want to exalt You and not ourselves. So Father, when we are tempted to exalt ourselves instead, would You just convict us and humble us? And remind us that we have this treasure in jars of clay so that Your power might be seen and might be on display. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me just say that if you came to Northside because you were looking for the perfect church where things never go wrong, I think this morning is a reminder, and as our text is going to show us, things happen, right? Uh, And our sound system, the gremlins, uh, are at work, and, and that's Satan just trying to distract us. But here's the thing. It's not our power, it's not our abilities, right? It's all about the glory of God. And so I couldn't help, but while we were just worshiping and you know, my mic wasn't working and some other things, knowing what I'm preaching on, it was God was just saying, this is just a reminder that you cannot ever do this in your own strength. Don't ever rely on the things of this world, technology. You need to focus on the gospel because it's the power of God to change lives. Uh, and I'm very thankful for our guys in the sound booth. Uh, and we have some ladies that help back there as well. That is, that is the job that seldom do they get thanked. But when something goes wrong, everybody looks. And, and in today's days, they probably get text messages. So I appreciate you guys and all of those of you who, who serve. Um, let's read God's Word and then let's dive into it. We're going, to be in, we're going to start verse 7, read through verse 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Father, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, every single one of us this morning, the temptation is to be distracted, maybe to be discouraged, maybe to lose heart. And we just need a word, a powerful word, God, that comes not from my lips, from my studies, from my mouth, but it comes from you. So God, would you speak? And would you help your people to listen? Let me ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I read verses 7 through 12. Let me read verses one, verse 1 and then verse 16. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And then verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So verse 16 expresses two, things. It expresses two things, right? One is something that we, we want to pursue, That we, or one is we don't want to happen, the other thing is something that we do want to pursue. And so you see there verse 16, so we do not lose heart, we do not lose heart, and then this is what we want to pursue. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. My guess is this morning that every single one of you that came in here, you desired renewal of some sort. You want to find hope, you want to find strength, you want to find courage, right? This is what you want. And I doubt this morning that any of you came in here hoping to lose heart. You probably didn't walk in this morning going, man, I hope when this is over, I'm discouraged when I leave. But I hope the praise team and Curtis sing songs that make me feel so hopeless this morning. Right, you probably didn't walk in here saying, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will be depressed in it. Right? We don't want to lose heart. But hear me. The temptation for all of us this morning is to lose heart. That's the temptation. The temptation for all of us is to lose heart. It's to be discouraged. It's to give up or to give in. And the Apostle Paul dealt with this. And so he's talking about this issue. And so last week I talked about, as your pastor, I want you to live well, suffer well, and then I want you to die well. And I want to zero in a little bit on that suffering well. Because when we suffer, sometimes the temptation for us is to lose heart. And so I just want to remind you, today and then next week, uh, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just some truths from God's Word to help us not lose heart. These are simple truths but truth is sometimes we neglect and forget. So here's number one. Truth number one is this God's power working in us. God's power working in us helps us to not lose heart. Look what Paul says. But we have this treasure. Say that word with me treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. So what is this treasure that Paul is speaking of? Well, if you go back to verse six, it says this For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the treasure. The treasure is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Which displays the glory of Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, right? We know that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. God came and He took on flesh and He lived a perfect life. He died, He was buried, He was raised. Right, this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus saves sinners. And Paul says, he has this treasure. You, if you know Jesus, you know the gospel, you have this treasure. It is a priceless treasure. But look what he says. Where is this treasure? It's in jars of clay. Jars of clay is a common metaphor in the ancient world for weakness. Uh, a clay pot, a jar of clay, an earthen vessel. In this day, these clay pots, these jars of clay that Paul would have been referring to, were common, weak, unimpressive. Right? You go to Lowe's or Home Depot. You you're looking for some kind of pot. Right? They got the probably bigger, night, more expensive ones, and then they got the cheap ones. That's what I go for. The cheap. Right? That's what we are. We are these. Paul says, common, weak, unimpressive earthen vessels. Cheap, replaceable. Now understand, you're made in the image of God, so you have worth and value. But sin impacts not only the world, but us. It impacts our bodies. And so Paul's saying, look, we're common, we're weak, we're unimpressive. Paul plants the church in Corinth. Loves this church. He writes 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, right, to the church. And what you see as you're studying this, that the church had been infiltrated by by false teachers false apostles, some of them, they saw themselves as super apostles. And what they begin to do is they begin to attack the character of Paul. They accuse him of being common, ordinary. Yet they're these super apostles, right? They, they say he's unimpressive. How does Paul respond to this? Well, in verse seven, here's what Paul says. You're right. When you say I'm ordinary and I'm common and I'm unimpressive, you're spot on. In fact, he says, I'm just a jar of clay. But what else does he say? We have this treasure where? In these jars of clay. Paul recognizes that he's ordinary. But what's happening in and around Paul is not ordinary. Lives are being changed. And it's not because of Paul. It's because of Jesus Christ. There is great power in Paul's life. Now, where is this power coming from? He continues, Why does God choose to put this treasure in just ordinary folks like Paul, in these jars of clay? Here's why. To show that the surpassing power belongs to who? God. And not to who? Us. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Here's what Paul says. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from who? God. It's from God. Paul also records these words that Jesus says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul recognizes he's weak. He recognizes that he has weaknesses. Church, every single one of us is weak. Every single one of us has limitations. I'm reading a book right now by Paul David Tripp, uh, and the book is called Simply Lead. Lead 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church. In chapter three, he spends an entire chapter talking about how limited leaders are, how limited people are. He focuses on four. He says every one of us has limited gifts. Look, God, if we, God as the Creator, has given us natural gifts. You just have natural gifts. But then when you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit of God, you receive spiritual gifts. But even in that, your gifts are limited. If we were to list all the spiritual gifts right now, no one can stand up and say, hey, I've got all of them. We don't have all the spiritual gifts. We don't have all uh, abilities. You may be strong in one area, and say, I'm really weak in another. You're limited. We also have limited time. You have 24 hours in a day. Nobody in here gets 26. Nobody gets 30. You have 24. You're limited in that time. You have limited energy. Can I get an amen? I see some of you shaking your heads, right? You have limited energy. Eventually, you're exhausted. You can't stay up for 24 hours, seven days a week. You, your body won't survive, so you have limited energy. And then he says you have limited maturity. What he means by that is we all still have to grow spiritually. And sometimes that spiritual immaturity shows. Listen, every one of you has limits. I have limits. Sometimes, I think many times I think those limits are many. We are all limited. But there's good news. And the good news is this. Though you are weak... God is strong. God is strong. He is God Almighty. And the good news, hear me, is though you have weaknesses, your weaknesses do not limit the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, wait, can God use just an ordinary person like me? Yes. But pastor, you don't know about my past. No, but God does, and your past does not limit what He can do in the present or in the future. You say, well, you don't know my weaknesses. No, but God does, and He can still be exalted even through your weaknesses. Listen to the sentence I read. It's going to be on the screen. God does everything through people who understand they're nothing. And God does nothing through those who think they're everything. You say, Pastor, I want to be used by God then it starts, first and foremost, by you being yielded to God. And you're yielded to God by believing in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, confessing your sinfulness, confessing that you deserve hell, that you don't deserve a Savior, but that God sent Jesus to save you from your sins. It starts by you being yielded to God, but then you have to be dependent upon God. And this is prayer. That's what prayer is. God, I can't do this. God, I don't know what to pray. God, I don't know what to do. God, I can't save them. God, I can't change this, but you can. And I want you to change me. And I want you to work through me. And so I'm dependent upon you. And then you have to be humbled before God. Listen, if you think, hey, I can do that. I'm capable of that. And you try to do it in your own strength. It is a matter of time before it blows up in your face. I can't use that because you've got to be humbled. You've got to be willing to say, I am nothing. In the moment you humble yourself, God says, Now that I can use. And man, I can, I can show my power because you are willing to acknowledge you can't do it alone. Here's a question for you Are you focusing on the treasure or are you focusing on the container? Are you focusing on the jar of clay? Or are you focusing on the treasure that's been placed within the jar of clay? I am not the treasure. Ryan, I'm not the treasure. Yeah, You may think that, but I'm not the treasure, right? She's shaking her head. She's so disappointed right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not the treasure. Newsflash. You are not the treasure. You're not. And yet some of us, man, we're living our lives right now and we're thinking, man, everybody needs to know who I am. Everybody needs to know about me. Everybody needs to see me. Everybody has to know my opinion on everything. Listen, you're not the treasure. We're living in a culture where everybody thinks too highly of themselves. The treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. Let me give you a couple different metaphors. Paul talks about a treasure in jars of clay. I read a couple of these this week and they were helpful to me. Here's one. We are windows whose purpose is not to be seen, but to be seen through. Nobody looks at these windows and be like, man, look at those windows. They are beautiful. They're there to see through them so we can see the beauty of the sun. Listen, it's not about you. It's not, nobody should be focused on you. Your life should be lived in such a way that people see right through you and see who? Jesus Christ. And that's how we are to live our lives. Here's another uh, metaphor, right? We are like the, grass, like the glass in a fire alarm box. Remember the, the fire alarm box? You break the glass and you pull the alarm, right? We are like the glass in a fire alarm box which must be broken so that lives may be saved. It is never about the exaltation of the messenger. And it is always about the exaltation of Christ. And when I look at the church today, I have a lot of concerns about the church of Jesus Christ. One of my concerns are celebrity preachers. And I don't think they ever start out to be celebrity preachers, but sometimes they just get really, really popular and famous and everybody knows their name, right? And eventually, whether they want it or not, the people start making it about them and sometimes they buy into it's about them. It's never about the messenger. It's never about me. It's about the exaltation of Christ. And what needs to happen is you and I need to be broken. We need to be humbled. So when these jars of clay are smashed, the light of the gospel shines forth. When we are broken, when we suffer, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ should shine forth. So Paul says, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he jumps into this series of listing four things. And the second thing I want you to notice is not only God's power in your life, but God's presence in your life. So let me set up these four things. Because what Paul's about to do is he's going to make this statement. He's going to say, I am or we are something. For example, verse 8, he says, we are afflicted. But then he gives you a, but not. And the reason Paul can say, but not, for example, verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The reason Paul can say, I'm afflicted, but not crushed, is not because of who Paul is, but it's because of the presence of Christ in his life. It's, it's God who enables us to get to the but-not stage. So look what Paul says. Paul can identify with us here. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. The Greek word for afflicted is phlebo. Thlibo. It means to press upon, to be under pressure. Anybody feel like you're under pressure right now? Paul knew affliction. You know affliction could be physical affliction, spiritual affliction, psychological affliction. It could be a chronic illness that you walk in here Sunday after Sunday with that chronic illness. It could be economic hardship. It could be a disobedient child. It could be an insensitive church member. And you have just experienced this affliction in your life. Paul says we are afflicted. We will experience these afflictions. We're going to sometimes experience this this life pressing in on us. But what does he say? But not crushed. In fact, he says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now that word for crushed means this. To be in serious circumstances with no escape or way out. So here's what Paul says. I am afflicted, but there's always a way out. I am afflicted, but there's always hope. I am never fully crushed to the point beyond despair and of life itself because of the presence of God. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He continues, and I'm very, very thankful for this one. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Perplexed. The Greek word is aporeo. It means to be in perplexity, to be at a loss, to be uncertain. Church, think about this. Here is the Apostle Paul, and he has just confessed that at times he is perplexed. You know what Paul had in his toolbox? I don't know. That's hard to fathom that Paul would ever say to somebody, I don't know. But Paul says he is perplexed. There are times in my life where I have said, I don't know. Someone has asked me a question. Well, what about this? I don't know. I don't have all the answers to every question someone may ask, and neither do you. And maybe you're there. Maybe you've asked the question. Some of you experienced the birth of a child just to have that child suddenly die. God, why? We're perplexed. Some of you have had to bury a child. Why God? Why me? Why this? I don't know. Some of you, you have multiple kids. Two of those kids love Jesus, are serving Jesus, following Jesus, and one of them is not. Has walked away from the Lord, wants nothing to do with church, maybe doesn't even believe in a God. And at night when you're praying, you're thinking, God, what went wrong? I preached the same gospel. I parented them the same way. They grew up in the same church. They had the same teachers. I I loved them equally. What happened? I don't know. We are perplexed at times about life. But look what Paul says. We are not driven to despair. The word to despair means to despair completely. Paul, at times in his life, was at a loss. But never at a total loss. And that is important. Because you may not know the answers to some of life's questions. You may not understand why things are happening in your life. But through God and the presence of God, you don't have to get to a place where you are driven beyond despair. So here's a question to you. Will you cling to God in the midst of your perplexity? When things happen in your life and you don't have an answer, you don't have an explanation, you don't know why, will you still cling fast to the faithfulness of our good and gracious God? I pray you will. Because the presence of God is there to help you not be driven to despair. He continues, persecuted but not forsaken. Uh, Let's camp out here for just a moment if we can. The word persecuted means to follow with haste, to run after, to pursue. It's used of hunting an animal. Paul says he has been persecuted. What a change that takes place in this man's life. Because Paul, at one point, was on the other end. You remember, Stephen is stoned, it says Paul gives approval to it. Paul, at one point, was the one dishing out the persecution hunting people down, arresting them, having them killed for their faith in Jesus. Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is transformed. And now here is Paul proclaiming and preaching Christ. And now he is suffering persecution. Go back up to verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, Paul has been entrusted with this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And then look what he says in verse 2. This is really, really important for our day. But we have renounced disgraceful, CSB says secret. We have renounced disgraceful or secret underhanded ways or shameful ways. We've renounced those. We refuse to practice cunning or to act deceitfully or to tamper or distort God's Word. Now, why would Paul need to write this? Because there were people who were doing just this very thing. Who were acting deceitfully when it came to the Word of God. They were distorting the Word of God. They were acting in secret, shameful ways. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to distort the Word of God. I'm going to keep preaching Christ crucified. Now why would any apostle, or false apostle, why would any teacher ever do this to the Word of God? Because it's easier. It is easier to water down and distort the Word of God than it is to preach what the Word of God actually says. I shared this in our men's Bible study yesterday. I am not the most optimistic person. I don't think I'm the most pessimistic person. What I'm not is a doomsday person. I'm not one of those, oh my goodness, the world's falling apart, woe is us, that's not me. I've tried to be very positive uh, about a lot of things that's happened in the past year. But church, I do believe, minus an act of God, that in America, in this country, we are heading for days in which for you to stand upon the Word of God to preach Christ, to say this is what the Bible teaches about this, this is what I believe, I believe the days are coming and they may come sooner than later in which it's going to cost you. In which we will experience what Christians have experienced for history, throughout history, what Paul experienced, and that is we will be persecuted for simply saying we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. That we will be persecuted for saying this is what God's Word says, and I'm still going to love you, and I'm going to have compassion for you, but this is what the Word of God says, and I'm going to stand upon the Word of God. Now here's the decision every single one of you is going to have to make. Will you distort God's Word or not? That's a decision we're all going to have to make unless God drastically changes the way we're headed. And if you choose, I'm not distorting God's Word. I'm not going to act secretly or in shameful ways. Then brothers and sisters, you and I will eventually begin to experience persecution. And in that, Paul gives us a really, really good word when he says this. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Paul endured so much, but not once was he forsaken. Stephen wasn't forsaken at his stoning. Study church history. Every martyr that has died for their faith, when you read their final words, they died believing in the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. They were never forsaken. And they laid down their lives for His glory. And my prayer is if that comes to us, and if that comes to Northside, and if that comes to your workplace, that you will stand with Paul and you will say, verse 2, I will not distort or water down God's Word. One more, he says, we are struck down but not destroyed. That word struck down is katabalo. It means to put, to put or play something down with the implication of permanence. They were lo- looking to deliver the knockout blow. Have you ever felt so down, so disappointed, so discouraged, so depressed that you thought you were down for the count? Maybe a friend who slanders you, a wife who walks out on your marriage, you were diagnosed with cancer and you thought, this is it, I'm down, I'm down for the count. But what does Paul say? No, right, struck down, but not destroyed. Knocked down, but you're not knocked out. This is the good news of the gospel because of the power of God and the presence of God. Let me quickly, quickly walk us through verses 10, 11, and 12. And I want to see how they kind of flesh out verses 8 and 9. Paul says, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. This will correlate to the first part of verse 8 and verse 9, right? We are afflicted. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. Right. This is this is what Jesus experienced. Right. He was persecuted. He suffered. We're always carrying in us the body of death. We, we're going to die, and we are to be dying for Jesus daily. But then He says, "This. We are always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." That's the second part of each of these phrases. Right. We're not crushed. We're not driven to despair. We're not. Uh, forsaken we're not destroyed why because of the life of jesus christ in us verse 11 for we who live are always being given over to death for jesus sake again that correlates with the first part of each of those four things but then he says so that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh right jesus christ right was given over to death how many times did jesus die Not a true question, right? Just one time. He died one time. He's not the sacrifices of the Old Testament that had to be offered perpetually. He died once, was raised, ascended to the right hand of God the Father where He rules and reigns over all things. He died once. You and I, however, are to die daily. We die daily. Is this not what Jesus said? You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Me. First, we talked last week about dying well. Look, in essence, we're to die every day. Every day, we must die to sin. We must die to self. We're going to experience these things affliction, persecution. We're going to be perplexed, right? We experience these things so that as we die, we can live for the glory of Christ as his life is lived out through us. Life's hard. Man, we're living in unique, unique, challenging days as the church of Jesus Christ. So maybe this morning you came in, and we'll continue to unpack this more next week, but as we wrap up, maybe this morning, if you're honest, you would say, you know what, Pastor? I'm losing heart. I've started to give up. I've started to throw in that towel. And maybe it's because you've experienced... Some form of persecution in your life, and it's just weighing on you. I mean, you never, you never experienced it before, and so at it, it work or, or, or wherever it may be, you begin to, to see some of that persecution, and the temptation, right, is just to give up. So I don't want to experience this anymore. Or maybe you're tempted to lose heart um, because, of, because of suffering in your life. It's almost just kind of hardens you. Man, you're like, Pastor, I can't take any more of this. I'm losing heart. Or or maybe you just have questions, doubting your faith. You're wondering about some things and you find yourself beginning to lose heart. Or, or maybe you're just perplexed. Or maybe you look at the world around us, right? And, and you're just ready to give in. You are bombarded and stressed out about the things of the world. Listen, if that's you, and that may be you, things are just stressing you out. Can I just give you a word of advice? First of all, remember the power and the presence of God in your life. Remember that right now, that you serve a sovereign God. Here's the second thing, and this advice is free. If you are stressed out about the events and the things happening around you, turn off the television. Get off Facebook. Get off social media. If that stuff stresses you out, unplug from it. Get in the Word. Get on your knees. Get right. Get renewed. And then when your perspective is right, begin to allow some of that stuff back into your life where you can see it know what's going on without you having anxiety about all of these things. Because the power of the presence of God is greater than Satan or anything this world is going to throw at you. Maybe you're tempted to lose heart because you have forgotten the hope of the gospel. You're a believer in Christ, but you walked away, wandered away, and you've forgotten the hope of the gospel. But let me lastly say this, because this is really, really important. Maybe you're losing heart because you are blind to the good news of the gospel. I've got to show you this before I pray. Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We talked yesterday in our men's ministry. You are not the enemy. Uh, Other people are not your enemy. Our enemy is Satan. And the reason they are blind and the reason they cannot see is because Satan has blinded them. That's what verse 4 says. Verse 6: For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know why you can see? It's not because you're better than the blind person. It's because the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. That's why you can see. Because God shined His light into the darkness of your life. Now, verse 5 changes everything. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, if you don't want to lose heart, and you want to have faith, and you want to believe, you know where it starts? It starts by confessing and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's by giving your life to Jesus. Have you done that? Those of you watching online, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you made a profession of faith decided that you were going to follow Him not only as Savior, but as Lord of your life? Church, do not lose heart. You're going to be tempted to do that this week. Every one of you is going to be tempted. Something's going to come up. You're going to be tempted to lose heart, to get discouraged, or to get down. And when that comes, just remember the power and the presence of God in your life. And when that moment comes, would you just reach out to somebody? Pick up the phone. Open up your email. Reach out to somebody in the church and let them into your life. Because you know what? They've been there. They're jars of clay just like you. They've got weaknesses just like you and I. They've experienced the same thing. Let somebody come alongside of you with the body of Christ. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because of Christ, we don't have to lose heart. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? We're going to sing in just a moment uh, a couple of verses to only trust Him just, to, just as a reminder that we are to put our trust in, in the Lord. But let me pray for us before, before we do that. Father, You know the hearts of every single person here. Lord, You know them better than they know themselves. And so God, right now, You know the individual who's who's been renewed and strengthened is on fire for You. God, You also know the individual or the family that is just down and they've been beat up and they're discouraged. And it took all they had just to get dressed this morning and to drive to this place and to walk in here. God, you see them. You know them. Oh, God, would you just encourage them, strengthen them. Whatever it may be in their life that's leading them, God, to feel like they've lost heart and to give up. Oh, God, would you restore the joy of their salvation. Would you restore, Father, the hope that they had once claimed in Jesus Christ. And, oh, God, if there is anyone here who is still blind, who has never believed, never received, never trusted, oh, would you open their eyes right now that they might see the glory that is Jesus Christ, that they would be saved. Father, only trust him. Him, that is you, God. Trust, putting our faith in you and only. It is only you. No one else can do what you can do. Our faith cannot be in you and in something else. It must be solely in you. So Lord, as we sing these verses, would you just speak to our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's just sing these verses together. seated for just a moment. I have some more exciting news to share with you. We have uh, some other people who are coming to join with us here at Northside uh, to partner with us and what God is doing here. So I'm just going to have you stand. Where's Grace? Grace is right over here. This is Grace Bracken. Yeah, clap for Miss Grace. Awesome. Grace, you can, she is coming from Tukalichi, Tukalichi Baptist Church, and is it Maryville? Maryville, Tennessee. Uh, So Grace has moved here recently. Uh, Used to live here, right? Family's in this area, and so she's moved back to this area and started looking for a church home and started coming to Northside and then thought, hey, I'm going to go check out some other churches, and then God brought her her right back to Northside. And so uh, it's it's so excited for that. Some of you have had an opportunity to already get to know uh, Miss Grace. If not, introduce yourself to her. Uh, So we're so excited to have Grace. And then I love what Grace did. Grace did what all of us should do. She came, she already loved the Lord Jesus Christ. She felt God was leading her. She loved the church. So she started inviting some family. And so we have some family of Graces who is also here. So if you all will stand, this is Ken and Sherry Kuhn. Ken and Sherry Kuhn. All right, y'all can be seated. And they're coming from, by letter, from Crossroads Baptist uh, Church. Now, Ken goes by Lou, so I call him Lou, his name's Ken, Ken, Ken Lou, right, is that what it is, Ken Lou, so uh, so I don't know what he wants you to call him, I'm going to call him Lou, I'm sure he's fine, everybody calls him Lou, is Lou good for you? So that's Lou, um, and so they're coming as well, and you're the niece, right, the niece of Grace, and so Grace just started invite family, and I was like, man, that is awesome, that's the way, that's the way he should be, and so uh, we are so excited to, to have them join with us, they They have gifts um, and a love for the Lord. And and what I love what God's doing is, is those that have joined in the last three to four months, God is bringing us folks who love him, who have walked with him for an extended period of time, who have faithfully served in the church, and who desire to serve in the church here at Northside. And so our job is to find and allow them opportunities to serve. And, and what I believe God is doing, I believe God is bringing more and more faithful believers in Christ to help strengthen the body. Because I believe and pray a day is coming when we're going to start having lost people and young believers in Christ. And we need to be better equipped and more strengthened to pour into them and love on them. And so those of you who have joined lately, we are excited to have you. Again, we're going to have a new members class next Sunday. If you haven't joined yet, that's all right. You can still come to the class, learn more about us. Um, if you've never joined, maybe you've been attending church here for a while, and you're thinking, you know what, we ought to join. Just come to the class. L- let's go through that. Let's talk about that um, and, and see where God is, is leading you. So before you leave, uh, make sure you come by. As long as it's all right with them, I'm sure it is, come by and, and just love on them and uh, and welcome them into the family of God. All right, if you will stand, uh, let's have a be dismissed with a word of prayer. Tonight, Awana starts at, is it 5 o'clock? 5 o'clock. That's actually in the bulletin, so make sure you pay attention. Awana's at 5. We're going to have Awana, the store, and then we're going to have the awards, and then we also have youth worship. There's no adult Bible study, correct? This week next week. All right, no adult Bible study this week, but they will meet next week. David is our deacon of the week, and he's going to close us in prayer.